This is Shinji Kagawa, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Episode 192 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I'm joined by Mr. Konstantin Eckner and Lars Pohlmann for this great episode. We are just at the back of uh, Borussia Dortmund's defeat to Rot-Weiss Essen. So, yeah, we have some hard analysis to do. Of course, uh, yeah, we have some transfers to discuss and, yeah, look ahead to the season a little bit as much as we can do just, yeah, four or five days into preseason. So yeah, hi Konstantin. First of all, how are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm really fine. Um, just watched the the match, which was somewhat disappointing, but also I mean, as you mentioned, four days into the into the um like preseason period, it's not um that heartbreaking to lose to Essen. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Also here, Lars. Hey, how how are you doing? And I guess belated. Birthday wishes are in order. No, they're not, Stefan, because you already congratulated me. Uh, thanks. I'm doing fairly fine. How are you? I'm doing well myself. Thank you. Uh, I, I just, I just wanted to mention it again that on, on the air last. Anyway, I guess, um, I don't know. Does anyone of you want to talk about this friendly match against Essen or shall we touch upon that later? Well, I, I missed the first uh, 30 minutes or so and I asked, uh, Luca, whether or not the first half hour of the game was worth rewatching, and he answered with two uh, letters, and those were N and O. So I guess there's not too much to talk about. Yeah, you could uh, add to those two letters the word automatism because they were lacking in that game, and you could clearly see that there was a lot of rust. And yeah, Essen took their chances well. Dortmund, yeah, couldn't really find. Much attacking flair, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's the beginning of the season. Yeah, a bit weird to see Eric Durm in central midfield, but hey, <laughs> I guess Peter Bosch has to find his ways. I don't know. I think, I think we will see more during the friendlies, uh, when Dortmund starts to tour Asia, they will face the Urava Reds on Saturday. So I don't know. Couple of friendlies and then the first quote-unquote real friendly is the Super Cup in August. So, yeah, I guess we, we'll just start with uh, talking about some transfers Dortmund already have made and maybe about some transfers Dortmund might do, although I personally think there's not too much work to be done on the trans transfer market for Dortmund. But, yeah, let's just start uh, with a still very crowded defense and... Um, Lars, I don't know if you just got a look in on Dan Axel Zagadou. Uh, he at least played rather well, uh, in the second half against Essen, uh, as a left, yeah, wingback, let's say. Um, what do you make of this transfer? He, of course, is a prospect, just 18 years old right now, joined from PSG. 
Do you do you think that he will get some more serious playing time, or do you think you know he is the king of the friendlies now and then bye bye? I suppose we'll have to wait and see on that. I too thought he played fairly well in a role that clearly isn't one he's going to spend much of his professional career in. Um, the first thing with Zagadou is he's massive, uh, a humongous human being at 18 years old. Looks to have fairly filled out his frame already. So uh, even though he's 18 and has, I think he doesn't have a single minute of professional experience, he looks like a player who shouldn't have too much trouble fitting in in a team with, you know, players who are six, seven, ten years older than him and opponents who are older than him and more experienced. But uh, as for how much playing time he will get, that's really hard to tell right now. As you said, the depth chart at centre-back is fairly crowded. Uh, they have Socrates and Batra returning, Bender returning, signed Ömer Toprak for 12 million. Um, still have Neven Zubotic, even though I think it's relatively likely he'll leave towards the end of the current transfer window. So if, if not two of those guys leave or, you know, Bender's usual injury problems come up, I, I, I think it's quite difficult to see a path to playing time for Zagadou, but certainly going forward, him being a left footed player is certainly a bonus and, and he looks talented from what little we could have seen before he, first stepped on the pitch today and then in whatever brief those 45 minutes today were. Yeah, I don't know. I said it before. I don't know if it was on air, but um, I I have a funny feeling, you know, right now, all I can rely on this feeling and intuition uh, is that he actually will grab some playing time under, under Peter Bosch because, I don't know, I just, I just think uh, he fits his style and... I think he's actually quite far for his age already, and today he also looked quite calm, but, you know, that was against Essen. Let's see how that looks against an opponent that presses a little bit higher and whatnot. Um, Konstantin, Ömer Toprak, a transfer we more or less discussed quite often on, on the show. However, um, seeing him in a, in a yellow shirt today. Yeah. What, what do you make of him? He is coming off a very poor season in Leverkusen. Do you think uh, he'll turn it around in Dortmund now? Or do you think uh, he might actually be a loser as Dan Axel Zagadou rises to the top? I, I don't know if his faith is connected to Zagadou's, but... Um, <laughs> Not really, yeah, but I'm just, you know... No, no, no. no but but <laughs> the problem with Toprak might be that... Um, he, he won't be a leader, I guess, a leader of the back line or a leader of um, the defense or, or someone who's just there um, doing his part, um, but not being like the kind of player who, um, you know, has the command of defense. Um, and that's maybe a problem because you've got um, Butter, who's clearly the best technical center back uh, right now uh, at Dortmund. And you've got Socrates, who's much more of a leader than Toprak, especially with Toprak coming in. Um, being the new guy, although he's fairly older, like 27, so he's in, he's in his prime. Um, not, not like a young gun, like Sagadu, um, or even like Butra, who's, who's not much younger, but feels like a younger player just because he, he didn't play that much for Barcelona and was always only the talent and not like, um, a key starting 11 player. Um, so I don't know. He also looks like 10 years. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, fair. sure. And yeah. 
that's also a thing because Bator is like babyface Bator. Um, so I don't really know if Toprak will make an impact or if he will just be a guy, um, at defense. So maybe, uh, but it's better to have like Toprak as your, I don't know, third string center back than some other guys and maybe some more, someone who has, uh, recently left. Dortmund. Yeah, like Matthias Ginter, right, perfect right, segue, right. because I wanted to ask you, Konstantin, right. uh, how you see this this uh, transfer for all three parties, for Dortmund, for Gladbach, and for Ginter himself, uh, who won the Confederations Cup, by the way. Right, right, so, yeah. So, so Another title for Ginter. Right, G- Ginter has won the German Cup, he has won the World Cup, and he has won the Confed Cup. Uh, so, yeah, he's like a man for trophies. Uh, yeah, and and uh, silver medal at the Olympics. Silver medal, Not bad either at the Olympics, and yeah, right. And he was in the semifinals of the Euros, if I remember correctly, right? He was part of the Euro squad. Um, no, so no, he wasn't. He wasn't. No. He wasn't. Okay, I, I I wasn't sure. Um, you know, but yeah, to, back to Ginter. I think the transfer makes sense for all parties involved. Um, looking at Gladbach, they I think they needed another. Uh, center back and look for one who's, who's you know, a, probably a German-speaking guy, uh, a fairly young player, someone who, who still develops and evolves. Um, so Ginter makes sense uh, as an option, and he's not like not that expensive. Uh, just to be <laughs> completely honest, uh, especially when we when you look at the international market. Um, so Dortmund, uh, yeah, they they signed Toprak, they signed Sagadu, another young guy for the center back position. So I think they just decided, okay, this entire Ginter project, this entire thing they started a few years ago where they thought maybe could replace Mats Hummels one day, that just didn't work out. So yeah, let him, let him go, uh, let him do his thing somewhere else. Um, so, and for Ginter, I mean, he just, he realized that he couldn't hang, uh, with Batra and Socrates, I guess at least. Or I, I mean, not, not couldn't hang, but that he realized that he won't be a starting 11 player. Like, um, and, you know, considering that next year there's the World Cup in Russia, uh, I guess he just wants to, uh, secure his chances to be part of the squad. Um, so Tlatel is a better option. I guess he will be, um, a key player in the de- uh, defense at Tlatel's defense. So yeah. It makes sense, um, especially with Sagadu coming in, a much more athletic center back than Ginter, and a better tripler than Ginter. So you got two facets of the game. Ginter couldn't really fill out, while Sagadu is someone who really promises something and maybe give him one or two years, and he could be uh, he could be a murderer at the back. <laughs> yeah, well, we 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 have to see about that, but. Uh... I think it'll be very interesting uh, to see Ginter in Gladbach or at Gladbach because I think in the last couple of months, you know, in his final stint at Dortmund where he played, yeah, a lot of minutes, I I think he actually improved. And I wonder if this will continue if he gets more playing time because, you know, in the end, Ginter will have to shake his phlegma, let's call it, uh, that, yeah, he somehow must find a way out of his shell think that's that's just yeah what what's needed maybe a confidence boost by coach of the year 2000 what was it 15 Dieter Hacking I don't know however different question to you Lars uh, 17 million do you think Ginter was under was was undersold or you know was the fee not high enough 
considering as this, uh, Socrates just mentioned that other international fees are a bit higher or do you think it's, it's fair or even a bit too high? Well, first of all, I'm wondering how Socrates managed to sneak onto the pot, but, um, I think 17 million is perhaps a tad low considering Ginter had attracted interest from the Premier League, especially Spurs. I think that's been reported fairly widely that uh, Spurs were interested in signing Ginter for reasons entirely unbeknownst to me because he doesn't strike me as a Pochettino player whatsoever. But whatever, that didn't uh, turn out to anything. And, and with Ginter... Seemingly being steadfast on joining only Gladbach. Remember, he also wanted to join Gladbach two years ago and then Wolfsburg last season or last summer. Um, I think that really restricted what Dortmund could ask for because uh, it wasn't a Premier League club vying with Gladbach for his signature. He simply wanted to go to Gladbach. So I think they could have gotten more money for Ginter had he not been so inclined to sign with Gladbach, but for a transfer in uh, Germany, in the Bundesliga, I think 17 million rising to 20 or whatever it is uh, with some escalators and bonuses. I think that's decent enough for a player who wasn't going to have too big of a role under new management at Dortmund. So at the end of the day, I think everybody can live with whatever they, they got for Ginter. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. I mean, if you run down his accolades as we did at the beginning, uh, you would say, yeah, maybe 25 million. But if you take a closer look at uh, all the screw-ups Ginter had and all the inconsistencies, I, I think you could even say 15. So I guess 70 is fa uh, 17 <laughs> is fair. So they, yeah, they would have they would have gotten 70 if he uh, had uh, signed for a Chinese club. Yeah, well, but he didn't. Ah. Um, I don't know if Nevin Zubotic would sign for a Chinese club. Uh, He said that he basically wants to, uh, yeah, fight for his spot in Dortmund. Konstantin, how do you see that going? Uh, well, good luck to him. Um, I don't see it happening. I mean, I see it happening that he will fight, uh, for his place, but, um, yeah, he is, he's not, uh, on the level of, of Socrates and Butler and, and even Bender and, and even Sagadu, I guess. I mean, Sagadu's like has this age thing going for him, uh, while uh, Subutic is 28 and beat up. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that the thing with, um, Sopotich is that his heart is really with Dortmund. So he really loves the club. He wants to be there. He doesn't want to go to another place. Um, that's why he's, he's just, you know, staying, I guess. Um, at, at 28, it's, it's a little bit sad to see someone not throwing away his career, but basically giving up. I mean, yeah, you will fight for his place, but, At the end, I mean, he has to realize that, um, it's not, not Dortmund, he's not Dortmund level anymore. He should, uh, maybe, you know, go to a club like Cologne as he signed or as he was on loan last year at Cologne. So maybe some, some, some club like that. He can still play in the Bundesliga, of course, but I, I guess not for the, for the second or third best club. Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit sad that, you know, you have to say something like that about a player who, uh, Yeah, went to the, all the way to the Champions League final with Borussia Dortmund at some point, but I guess, uh, you know, it's not less true. You know, he has just uh, deteriorated over time. Um, last, do you think at the end of Dortmund's preseason that Zubotic will still make a move or do you think he will actually stay on and 
fight for a spot for the, I don't know, until winter maybe. Well, he can fight all he wants, but the result of the fight is fairly obvious from our view right now. And the question is whether he realizes that until August 31st or uh, only in January or, or maybe even next year, I think it's very unlikely he's going to have any kind of role for the first team this season because, as we talked about earlier, they have so much depth and, and signed two center backs with uh, more of more of a chance to play under Peter Bosch this season. So the the sensible thing for him to do would be uh, to fight for his place in preseason as he intends to do. I mean that's that's his prerogative as a as an uh, employed player of Borussia Dortmund. But then he should really try to find a club where he can play. Um, let's remember that he not only signed for Cologne on loan in January, he also was very close to joining Middlesbrough in uh, August, only failed the medical then. Uh, so he would have been gone on a permanent deal last year already. So I think having played fairly little, even at Cologne in the second half of last season, I don't see why his chances of succeeding at Dortmund should have gotten better over the last 12 months. So I think he knows that his time at the club as you know a, a viable first-team alternative is over. And and with that, he should really try to find a club where he can play and and win the hearts of another fan base, as he did in Dortmund and even during his brief time in Cologne. Yeah, I mean, I wish Nevin Zubotic all the best, and you know, I would hope that it would work out for him in Dortmund. But yeah, like you guys, I don't see it right now. Um, unless there's a huge barrage of injuries in, in preseason that makes the way or paves the way for Zbotic. And yeah, kind of segues into, yeah, a little problem for Dortmund because they have a lot of injuries right now to deal with. Julian Weigel is still out for a couple of months. Uh, yeah. Marco Royce, of course, out for the rest of 2017. And, um, yeah. Who am I? Oh yeah. Rafael Guerrero. That is also a nice little topic we might touch upon. Um, on one, when was it? Monday, Mr. Michael Zorc said that he doesn't quite understand what they are doing in Portugal, referencing to, uh, Guerrero basically picking up an injury at the Confederations Cup or did he? That's the question because he was diagnosed with a mere bruise. And in Dortmund, they diagnosed a fractured foot. However, um, Konstantin, as far as I can see it, Guerrero was already injured when he when he uh, yeah, moved to the Confed Cup to the Portuguese national team. Um, things are not going too well right now when when it comes to injuries and how Dortmund are managing themselves publicly right now. Are they right? Uh, because the uh, entire story is, or uh, the truth is that yeah, yeah, you already had an injury, um, like a hairline crack. So he already had an injury when when he um when he was at Dortmund so at the end of the last season so but they didn't like announce that he was injured then he went to the Portuguese national team of course they are also as as uh, as stupid um or as not as stupid but as careless as probably Dortmund is um and they just decided to let him play just decided to let him uh, getting injured again and now he's out for a few months, um, which definitely, yeah, yeah, three definitely, to four months definitely said the press release, right? Which definitely hurt 
Dortmund, uh, Dortmund's defense because he's, he's the second left back, uh, besides Marcel Schmelzer. And, and he was also an option for, uh, the center midfield, um, because, you know, you got Weigel, Weigel's injured, you got Dahoud, Castro, Shaheen, and Mikel Marino, but Guerrero is up there. He can play, um, the, the center midfield position or one of the center midfield positions. Um, so yeah, with him being out, that, that really hurts Dortmund. And I, I mean, injuries happen, of course, but, um, when you know the entire story and when you follow what's, what's going on, um, then it's just totally unnecessary because in hairline crack or just some minor or not minor injury, but just some, you know, injury, uh, at the end of one season, normally, and, and especially if it's not like a, a knee injury or something, an ACL. So, um, there's enough time to recover and there's enough time to prepare for the next season, maybe with more light training. Um, but now he's out. He doesn't have preseason preparation. Uh, he will, you know, he will be fit, fit in quotation marks, uh, somewhere in October. So basically the first half, the so-called hindrance is, is, is gone. I mean, and when he reaches like, um, a form where he can really play and be, uh, well, a part for the team. Um, maybe that's like at the end of November or so. It's like, okay. And basically Hindurun is over. So it's just, it's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That, that uh, brings me to another question, Lars. And, uh, how much of Rafael Guerrero have we actually seen in a black and yellow shirt? Because, um, he arrived in Dortmund after the Euro having a long vacation. I felt like every time he uh, went on international duty, during Dortmund season, he came back with an injury and I had the feeling he was never quite fully fit, never had a full preseason and, uh, yeah, was always dragging some muscle injury and other knocks throughout the entire campaign. So, um, with, with that in mind, when do you expect to, to him, yeah, for him to be actually fully fit at some point? And, um, also in your eyes, would he be like an ideal player for Peter Bosch and, is this a great miss or is this something Dortmund can actually compensate? Well, firstly, I don't really know whether we've seen the best of Rafael Guerrero already. Uh, I mean, you mentioned his somewhat nagging injury problems last season and now uh, obviously a fracture uh, will take a lot out of him. I don't expect to see him in, in close to top form anytime in 2017, uh, even if he can come back to the pitch uh, during the month of October or maybe early November. I mean, it takes some time to get back to the rhythm of uh, the game, especially at this level. So um, not expecting top-level performances of Guerrero uh, in 2017. And then for uh, Bosch, I don't really know what Bosch intends to do at Dortmund exactly. So... Uh, more generally speaking, I think Guerrero is one of the best versatile players in the Bundesliga. Not sure he's a great left back, even though that's the position he excelled for, uh, at for Portugal at the Euros. I think, uh, international football is a bit different, uh, especially for fullback positions. It, it just feels like, uh, it's an entirely different thing. Even if you look at someone like Joshua Kimmich, who's played much better there for Germany than for Bayern, uh, whenever he got the chance. Um, but, uh, even if he's not a great left back, in my opinion, certainly not in the defensive phase of the game, he's very good uh, as an attacking left back or left wing back. And, uh, as Konstantin alluded to, he's 
very good in tight spaces and uh, technically so he can also play in central midfield so given also Weigel's uh, injuries injury problems you might need to uh, play Mahmoud Dahoud as the base midfielder or number six or however you want to call it and then a spot would open up for Guerrero presumably uh, in one of those number eight spots if Bosch wants to play his 4-3-3 from uh, Ajax at Dortmund as well so certainly uh, another huge miss for a coach coming into a new team, a new competitive environment with the Bundesliga and now with Guerrero joining Reus and uh, Weigel, that's three of the, I don't know, five or six or seven most important players in Dortmund squad, I would say, based both on quality and also, especially in Guerrero's case, on uh, his versatility. So going without them for half of the first half of the season or however long it's going to be. Uh, that's not ideal, especially for Bosch, who's known to be a bit of a slow starter in the team uh, and someone who needed a lot of, or not necessarily a lot of time, but too much time to recover in terms of the title race last season in the Dutch league. And we all know that that's not the same level of competition as the Bundesliga and Champions League, of course. Yeah, that's that's exactly the question that I'm having right now. And that is, you know, as as you said, we don't really know for sure right now what Bosch intends to do tactically. So we can just assume maybe a four three three. And uh, yeah, let's assume Guerrero would fit into the left uh, central midfield spot, say next to the hood because Weigel is out, as you all also mentioned. Now Guerrero is out in that spot. Constantine, who would you put there? And considering Dortmund will play a lot of games again with Champions League football and cup football and whatnot, um, what are, yeah, the options in, in total? And do Dortmund have to sign another player? It's a tough one because, um, signing a new player, um, might look like the right thing to do right now, but, um, after a few months and maybe uh, you got, you know, all your players fit. Then you've got an additional player who's maybe not happy sitting on the bench. So I'm not sure. I mean, if let's say Gonzalo Castro leaves, then you should sign a new center midfielder. But other than that, I don't really think that's, that's an option. Um, so yeah, you got, Ma well, who, who would cover for him then on that spot if he was to play there? I know a lot of hypothetical talk here, but I mean, we have four days into the season. Right. So that's what it's going to be now. Right. 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 Um, so yeah. I, of course, I mean, Mahmoud Dahoud is like, he's set in stone that he will play. Um, and then Nuri Shahin is an option, the second, uh, center midfielder. Um, I, I think Weiger is the better option for what Bosch want, uh, wants to do. Um, especially in, in terms of build up and, and rhythm and everything. But Nuri Shahin is still valuable. Um, with his, you know, sense for strategy and vision and everything. Yes, it's, it's, he's still a, a, a good player. Um, so yeah, he could play next to Dahoud. <laughs> um, especially now, I think Nui Shine is back to where he's just, he has the stamina and, and is in shape. Uh, that, that wasn't always. Well, that remains to be seen, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not uh, too sure so. if, if so. he, I don't know. We, we'll see. We will see, of course, I mean, but I think, I think he's in better of... shape than a while ago where he wasn't in shape at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I think. Uh, as long as Weigel is out and as long as Guerrero is out, uh, Mahmoud Ahoud and, and Nuri Shahin is like your your A option. And the B one is, is of course, you get Castro and maybe Shahin or Castro and Ahoud. Um It's not perfect. 
actually is not no it's not perfect um not at all uh, and you got Mikel Marino who could if he stays uh, and it's not out on loan um then he could uh, very well be someone who picks up playing time um uh, next to Mahmoud Ahoud. yeah well i personally think that Mikel Marino uh could very well fit in in that central midfield um he's a technical player and maybe Mirino will know what Bosch wants for him, <laughs> which apparently he did not from Mr. Tuchel. So and, and, last, and, 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 no, one last thing. Sorry. Just, um, and if everything you know goes south, and they you know after the um, August thirty uh, first, and and they don't have another um, center midfielder, and I don't know, Castro gets injured and trying, they're still Sven Bender. Just saying. Yeah, uh, they're still. I mean, of, of course, not great. To let him play as as like the holding guy there, but still, it's, it's better than yeah. It's, he's still better than most of the other holding players in the Bundesliga. Yeah, you know, Sven Benner is not the worst footballer of all times. Right. Let's put it this way: Sebastian Rode is also still around. But there is another player for that position uh, I wanted to ask Lars now about, and that is Mario Götze. Um, how do you? See him as a, yeah, let's say more central midfielder than an attacking midfielder in a 4-3-3 setup, hoping that, you know, he is back in full shape. Well, uh, he didn't really play as a true number 10 under Tuchel in the first half of last season, I don't think, especially not exactly. in, in many games anyway. So he basically already played. I don't know if you want to call it a number eight position or uh, in the half space or I mean, all those terms, which amount to basically the same thing, which is not really in attacking midfielder, not really in holding midfielder. So something in between, I think uh, it, it should got to be at the height of his current athletic level, which uh, remains to be seen for us, seeing as he's only been back in training after a five month absence for four days or back in team training, I should say, because he obviously did some individual work. Um, if he's ready to play a high press or an intensive pressing system for 90 minutes, then sure, why shouldn't he play in those positions? But I think, uh, as we said in earlier episodes, it would probably be best to curb expectations a little bit in regards to Götze seeing as he was out for so long. And until we've seen the proof that he can contribute on a weekly basis or even twice a week with Champions League games, I think making too many plans that involve him is a bit dangerous. And I want to come back to something you guys talked uh, about earlier, the the more defensive midfield, if you like, um, position in, in Dortmund squad. And I think when, as Konstantin uh, said it, when you make contingency plans that in, involve uh, Nuri Shahin and Sven Bender, that's not a great contingency seeing as uh, both of these guys are ex extremely injury prone themselves. Uh, Shine has played an average of 10 games in the last three seasons. And Sven Bender is uh, made of wood by now. On, on, he used to be made of wood. That was the problem. Now he's made of iron because every part of his body has been changed medically. So I think having those two as go-to options, uh, if need be, in defensive midfield is not a position of strength for a club of Dortmund's ambition. So unless Peter Bosch really likes what someone like Merino brings to the table or, you know, plans to play Dahoud as a number six because of Götze and Kagawa 
and Castro and others, then I think that's one position where certainly someone uh, could come in. And my prediction, if you like, is that if they don't sign someone for that position this season, they will have to do that next year because uh, the likelihood of Nuri Shahin staying fit for a full year doesn't seem overly likely, uh, overly high to me. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to add. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I think, I think we, we both uh, were looking up Shahin's overall playing time in the last three seasons. And yeah, it's just, it's just harrowing to see how little he actually played. So yeah, I don't, I, I haven't looked it up for Sven Bender, but it's probably <laughs> somewhere. Yeah, maybe a bit more, but but still not. Yeah, he played more. He played more, but he's a center back by now, and that's not something that goes away with with Thomas Tuchel. I mean, Uh, we all wanted Bender to become a center back even before Tuchel signed with Dortmund because he simply, partly because of all of his injuries and partly also because of the evolution of Dortmund's game or the 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 evolution that was needed towards more of a team that uh, likes to have the ball. Uh, against especially deep sitting opposition. I mean, Sven Bender is just not a good option against those kinds of opponents. And those are the ones Dortmund face a lot in the Bundesliga, at least. So, uh, even if Bender stays healthy, he doesn't really make sense as a replacement for Julian Weigel, uh, in the case of another somewhat inevitable, I would say, uh, Nuri Schein injury. Yeah. And neither is Sebastian Rode, to be completely frank. And, yeah, as I, as I said before, you know, if Dortmund might have to sign another player or, or whatnot, just because I don't see Nuri Shine sustain throughout an entire campaign with Bundesliga and Champions League football. I, I still don't see it that he has the, the, the fitness for, for a whole season like that. I just don't. Uh, he, of course, can prove me wrong. But from what I'm seeing right now, I I don't know. Maybe it's just his athleticism or whatnot that makes me a bit ske- skeptical. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But yeah, I just don't I just don't see it. Shine playing, uh, yeah, consistently on a high level for ninety minutes twice a week. Nope. So I don't know. That's that's a position where you need some rotation. And I don't think Sebastian Rode or Sven Bender. Uh, are the answer to that question, especially not after a Champions League game where you then play, let's say, way to minds and need, need some players that, yeah, can unlock a, a midfield that's very tight and impresses you. And yeah, I, I just don't see it. I, I think there are other options that Dortmund needs. And yeah, maybe Mario Götze is one, although in a holding midfield position. Hey, I don't know. Um, but yeah, speaking of more central midfield, field is in a broader sense Konstantin Shinji Kagawa will most likely extend his contract to 2020 very soon I don't know if they announce it while he's playing in Japan or or not um do you think Kagawa actually will find a home in a more central position too for Dortmund he very well could um because I think he has all the tools to be uh a, a decent or even very good um, center midfielder. And the, the interesting thing is that, like, even a few years ago, uh, it was discussed that he could play um, as, like, an, you know, number eight um, instead of being uh, locked in the number 10 position. Um, so, yeah, he could. Um, but let's let's wait and see. I think um, even Bosch is a little bit hesitant um, to put him there um, and maybe thinks that he 
can't um you know handle the pressure in in like in one-on-one in defensive one-on-one situations um right in front of the back line um i think that's one concern um but on the other hand he's a tremendous pressing player and he really understands um the mechanism of of pressing uh, in all phases of the game uh, which makes which would make him um a very interesting option for a central midfield position or central midfield role um so i don't know but i i would very very much or i would like to see him play him playing um as a number eight for instance maybe in the four three three you know as him as a number eight next to the hood that would be something we could enjoy actually and as yeah, I think I think they have, would have a good chemistry linking up. Right. I don't know. I can see a Götze, Dahu, Kagawa central three midfield for some reason. Sure, sure. My Play, playing on FIFA uh, 2018. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> however, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm still not done talking the central midfield thingy, and um, maybe I'm going a bit left field here. However, uh, with Oli availabilities at the centre-back position. Lars, do you think that we could actually see Mark Batra in a holding midfield position moving up with, say, Socrates and Toprak in behind? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't I don't Why think not? he has the spatial awareness from what I've seen. I think uh, sometimes you see Batra struggling uh, defending, facing his own goal and that's something that happens a lot more for defensive midfielders than centre-backs just by nature of their positioning on the pitch. And I don't also don't know if he's got the strategical uh, awareness or capabilities to play in a midfield role. Surely we could see that in a pinch um, if if needed rises during a game and, and maybe all the subs have been already taken or there's no defensive midfielder on, on the bench or something like that. I think uh, let's remember that Matsumils once had to play 45 minutes in defensive midfield against someone I don't quite remember. So of course it, it might happen every now and then in, in, in circumstances like that. But I think a lot would have to happen for Peter Bosch to consider putting Mark Bartra in defensive midfield to start a game of any kind of importance. Well, that's more answer that than I could have given because I simply have no idea. Constantine, do you see it? See what? Batra on the so six. Batra, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, no, not really. No. All right. I guess then, then we can finally move on and, uh, yeah, move a little bit forward because Borussia Dortmund's, uh, highest transfer signing so far is Maximilian Philipp joins from Freiburg. Um, yeah, more or less, uh, carbon copy of Marco Royce, just a little bit more physical and maybe just not as good. Um, Konstantin, how do you see him? Yeah. Integrating in, in Dortmund. He, of course, will miss some uh, parts of the preseason during, uh, due to playing at the under 21 euros. And yeah, he was part of the squad that actually won it. However, wasn't one of the stars of that tournament. So, um, yeah, Dortmund shelled out quite some money for him. Um, do you think he is a guy that actually will, yeah, play a more integral role while Royce is out? Or do you think even though he is a bit like Royce, he won't, you know, play too much just now? I, I think we can all agree that he's like the long lost brother of Royce. Um, being a little bit younger than him, five years. Uh, but yeah. Uh, it's it's funny because a few years ago I I wrote an article on a few 
Bundesliga talents and one of one of it uh happens happened to be um Maximilian Philipp uh when he was at Freiburg and just you know coming up uh from the youth ranks um playing I I, I think we back then playing next to Mahmedi uh in in the you know as a center forward in this in this 442 system of Streich where Right, you got these fluid, fluidly moving um, center forwards, and he was one of the one of um, those two back then. Um, you know, just be mobile, being everywhere, coming from the left, coming from the right, coming from like a center midfield. You know, being everywhere, like like just moving forward, or being always dynamic and always active. Um, not you know just standing there and waiting for something to happen. And there was this until the end at Freiburg that was his role that was like his big strength that he is always moving um and he's decent uh, to good you know tripler especially in the half spaces um which is of course the specialty of Marco Royce um uh, which is why the, the similarities are coming up when um Maximilian Philipp is characterized in articles and everything that's going on um after he was signed by Dortmund um I think in a 4-3-3 system, for instance, he could be the left winger. Uh, in a 4-4-2 system, he could be the second striker, although there's Kagawa, so I don't know, uh, he would, um, pick up the position, but he could very well be the second striker next to Aubameyang, for instance. And if Aubameyang, uh, signs for Chelsea, signs for Milano or whoever, um, then Philip could even be an option for the center forward position. Although, He's, he wouldn't be a perfect option. He would just be, you know, an emergency option. Um, but better than nothing, I guess, uh, Philip is uh, still someone he can, especially at F23, can still improve. Um, but right now, I think he's very much, you know, he's the player he will be throughout his career going forward. Um, and that means very, very agile, mobile, active, almost hyperactive. Um, flexible uh attacking player so um yeah i think he will i i hope he will pick up more playing time than andre schurler for instance <laughs> yeah well i can yeah. see it happen um do you think there was a good piece of transfer business for 20 million or do you do you think uh, Dortmund might have not signed him or do you think it was just the uh marco royce injury that then persuaded sorg to yeah just send the cash to freiburg I think it was a combination of a few factors. Uh, one being Royce, you know, getting injured, um, and being out until the end of the year and just picking up another injury. That's the problem with Royce. I, it's just, he's never fully fit. He's always in rehab. It's just a tragedy. And I think, um, just Dortmund, they, they don't want to move on from Royce, but they, you know, have to figure out, um, alternatives uh, to Royce. Uh, especially with him, you know, getting a little bit up there in age. Um, the second factor, I guess, was that Dortmund wanted to sign another attacking player. And as we know, they were interested in signing Serge Schnabry. That didn't work out. Maximilian Philipp was another option. Also a German player, young, you know, available. Um, and not too expensive, especially in an international context, 20 million, whatever nowadays, right? Um, no big deal. Uh, so yeah, that's their thing. And also to add a little bit more depth up front. Um, I guess it was, was a good piece of business. Um, and you got a player who 
who knows the Bundesliga, who has, who has played in the Bundesliga for several years, uh, who's not like an Alexander Isak or Emre Moore, um, so a player you have to build up. I mean, Philip is basically built, and now it's it's more about him getting a little bit more seasoned, but uh, him, you know, getting ready for maybe being in the national team or so. Um, but other than that, he's he's basically a, a made player. And you can put him on the field, and if he adapts to the system uh, or, or adopts a Bosch system very well, very quickly, then he is he is definitely um, a valuable option uh, for Dortmund. Yeah, I, I wonder where his ceiling is, whether it's world class or international class or whatever. I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, not not I, as high as Dembele's, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> that I could have said as sure. well, but yeah. <laughs> Th- thanks for that. Um, Lars, um, we are about 45 minutes into the show. And so now I have, of course, to ask the big question. What is going to happen with uh, Mr. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? He's probably going to bed tonight and waking up a Dortmund player. And that is going to be the case uh-huh. even on September 1st until, uh, unless things change somewhat dramatically. I know that Milan seemed to be quite keen on uh, a return of Aubameyang, but I'm struggling to see them, even with their Chinese money, coming up with, I don't know, 75 or so million for a 28-year-old striker, or soon to be 28, I think, uh, having already signed Andre Silva from Porto, who's 21, for, I don't know, 35 or so. And I think he was actually their record signing. So they, they'd need to double their transfer record to sign, uh, Aubameyang, which I, I kind of struggle to see happening. I don't think he's a great fit for Chelsea. I don't necessarily think he's a great fit for any of the Premier League clubs, uh, the way he plays. Uh, I think Chelsea probably looking to sign uh, Morata or, or, or some other high-priced option not named Aubameyang. So then it would be China and China's transfer window is probably a day or two away uh, from closing by the time this episode comes out. So the listeners will know whether or not there are any uh, reliable links uh, there. I mean, Sportbild, for example, said that Aubameyang had decided on signing for Beijing Jinwan or however these clubs are pronounced. But seeing as that was reported two weeks ago and he's still here, I think we can put it to bed. So I'm struggling to come up with a club shelling out 75-odd million for Aubameyang. So I think he's going to stay. Yep. Summed up. I don't see it. I don't see a transfer happening. And, and then that if I, if I may real quick, I think it, the, the most likely scenario is actually a a short term uh, contract extension to give him a better deal, seeing as he, uh, extended his contract in the summer of 2015 and in the meantime has, uh, improved a lot as a goal scorer and, you know, is a bit older. The wage structure at Dortmund has gone a bit up with some new signings and some extensions in the meantime. So I think uh, a one-year extension for Aubameyang to give him, I don't know, an additional 1.52 million euros per year to ease some of the quote-unquote pain of not being able to sign a remarkable deal in China or even England, Italy or Spain or whatever. Uh, I think that would be something that 
would be a, a sign of good faith from Dortmund because whatever you want to say about Aubameyang's uh, extravaganza off the field, he's he's a really good soldier on the field and and very professional in the way he trains and plays, even though he's such a uh, as I said extravagant guy off the field. So I think that's the kind of player I want to see rewarded uh, if if that makes uh, sense to call it that so um, I, yeah, yeah, I, I think sense. you know doesn't have to be a long-term thing just a one-year deal to tack on some money I think is something that Aubameyang in this camp would, would really appreciate from Dortmund and that, that that's also an important thing I don't really get the sense that Aubameyang is dead set on leaving I mean sure he he wouldn't say no to I mean, I, I don't think anybody would to, uh, you know, the Real Madrid's and Barcelona's of the world's, uh, uh, they are not coming for him. And then he would probably also not say no to, you know, a, a world record, uh, deal from China. But I don't really get the sense that he's, he wants to leave Dortmund. It would just be an opportunity he can't pass up. So I think he's perfectly fine playing for Dortmund next season if nothing comes up. Yeah, I totally agree. And at some point, the club just has to say, okay, time's up. We, uh, have to plan with you now because, you know, at some point they just, yeah, have to, have to really, uh, think about themselves since, you know, they have a contract with him and they, of course, have to final say on whether they want to sell him. And yeah, if they do so. And I'm pretty sure Borussia Dortmund will still get a very good amount of money for Aubameyang come next season. Um, Lars, help me out real quick. Um, Dortmund once did a similar thing with Robert Lewandowski where they kept him qu for another year and then ra raised his salary too. Isn't that, isn't that right? If it is, I've forgotten about it, but may, may well I, be. I think, I think that's what Dortmund did with I mean, Lewandowski uh, that uh, in the final year. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's, they didn't it's extend not uncommon contract, for, for Dortmund even in the, in the last few years. I mean, Uh, Nuri Shahin recently got a contract extension, which didn't make any sporting sense in my opinion. Socrates uh, extended his contract after only two years, I think, getting only one more year uh, tacked on. So that was about money more than anything else. Gonzalo Castro last season signed a contract extension. So I, I think it's not uh, nothing uh, extraordinary for a club to reward players who do things the right way for the club they represent to, uh, you know, get a little extra money uh, with also the club obviously uh, benefiting from having the transfer rights for one more year. And as you said, a player like Aubameyang, uh, even though he doesn't seem to have a great market this season, might well have one next season. And even then he's going to be 29 during uh, the first half of the 2018-19 campaign, I think they can still back, I don't know, 50, 60 million for him. If, if, for example, Alexander Isaac should be ready to take over or if Maximilian Philipp turns out to be a great number nine. So, uh, as, as you said, they, they, they can still sell Aubameyang next season, most likely. So the opportunity cost would would be relatively high, but then again, the opportunity cost of not having Aubameyang and relying on uh, a, a seeming, probably a, a younger striker to take over is probably much higher. So uh, I think uh, Dortmund are not looking to sell uh, this summer. Yeah, I mean, they they just lost so many key players in the last summer and now they have to do with Royce Weigel and Guerrero for, for a very long time. And uh, yeah, losing an integral part is Aubameyang. 
No, I don't. I don't think that would make things much easier for them. Just one last point before Constantine can say something. I'm sorry. Um, I think one thing that might work in favor of those who expect a transfer of Aubameyang is the Dembele situation, because I think Dortmund would be quite devastated to lose Dembele and Aubameyang in the same window, and I think Dortmund will have a very tough time hanging on to Dembele if he continues to progress the way he did last season after the coming campaign. So I think Dembele is probably off next summer and then losing him and Aubameyang in the same window would, would really set back Dortmund in, in their, uh, trajectory as a club in, in many ways, the same way last summer did when they lost Gundogan, Hummels and Mikitarian all in the same window. So that's the, the only thing I, I could, see that would make Dortmund perhaps think maybe selling Aubameyang for 75 million or so wouldn't be the, the worst idea at this transfer window. Yeah, that is true. And uh, yeah, I was going to say with uh, 100% certainty we have determined that Aubameyang is going to stay, but uh, since Lars just planted the seed of doubt, I will now uh, ask you, Konstantin, if Aubameyang is to leave, who do you think they'll actually uh, cough up as a replacement? And that's the problem. There is not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There isn't a replacement. I, I'm drawing a big, big blank here. Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem right now. I mean, if there would be some kind of some kind of player they could sign, you know, someone uh, who is available, or they could buy out, um, and who has at least, you know, glimpses of the talent uh, Oamiyang has. Um, well, why not? But um, it doesn't look like that, right? I mean, who's who's out there? Um, I mean, Dolberg from Ajax. Uh, I think he's in the way, and he's he's like he would he would be a project. He wouldn't be like the one-on-one replacement. Um, so la- there were some Lacazette rumors a while ago. Okay, <laughs> well we know how that turned out. Um, yeah, and in, in the Bundesliga, for instance, there's that one center forward who's young enough. And talented enough to be signed by Dortmund and be considered, you know, an Young replacement. I mean, there's not one. I, of course, Robert Lewandowski, but, and, and maybe Timo Werner to, to some extent, but uh, from Europe, like available players who realistically could be signed. Nope. No one. Um, so that's the big, that's the big one here. Uh, and I think that's why Dortmund will not allow Young to leave and uh, just because I mean, then you more or less destroy your entire offense. Um, I mean, we, disc- we uh, discussed a little bit, um, you know, options like Maxi Philip and, and so on. But realistically, especially, especially against top tier clubs, uh, you, you need someone like Oami Young or at least like a cent- center forward, um, with someone of the talent of Oami Young. And yeah, there's no one out there available to sign. So Dortmund has to stick with Oami Young. Yeah, going by the rumors, this, who, uh, were going by the rumors, which were floating around during the winter transfer window, I think, uh, there was Fedor Smolov mm. and, uh, Nikola Kalinic from, uh, Fiorentina, for example, floating around. Any names you would still consider hot for Dortmund if Aubameyang was going to leave? Well, the, the problem is, yeah, I, I, especially I remember, uh, Smolov, or I just, you know, a few days ago or so, I thought about Smolov because the rumors were really hot back then. I mean, it's like six months ago or so, seven months ago. Um, 
but even back then, I, I considered Smolov to be like the B option. Like you got, you got Aubameyang and then you got a very, 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 uh, good, um, replace or like a bench player, like a super sub, uh, in Smolov. Uh, and maybe of course someone who can also, um, you know, be a starting player in some matches. Um, but those rumors died and I guess like the entire thing died. Um, although against some, you know, some people who who may say otherwise, um, it's not even that uh, Smolov uh, uh, Smolov earns that much money in Russia. I mean, he earns a lot of money, but uh, it's not like he would, you know, destroy um, Dortmund's entire um, wage structure. So, nope, that's not an option. I mean, then Patrick Schick from uh, Sampdoria. I think there are rumors about him, a young uh, Czech player. Uh but no, there's nothing really going on where I could think, okay, they have to sign this guy. I have to sign this guy or Amian can leave. Uh, because all these rumors about top tier or regarding top tier players like Lacazette or even Morata, God forbid, um, they aren't true. So what are you, you going to do? Just throw away a season and l- let Oamian go? I mean, problem is that in, in 12 months when Oamian will probably leave, um, after all, then I don't know if the situation will really have changed then. So, well, well, all the hopes now lie on Alexander Isak to have his, uh, breakout year. Breakout year. At, at yeah, 17. So. Uh, okay. Exactly. <laughs> right. All right. Um, I'm, I'm sure about that. Um, so yeah, that's, it's just sad that the Bundesliga just doesn't really offer, um, many, center forwards you could sign as as a club like Dortmund. Yeah, you got yeah, it's just oh who? Chicharito? I guess that's it. Uh I don't know. Yeah. Alright then. Yeah, well I don't know. I guess we we can uh pin it with the uh transfer talk. Uh, Felix Paslak now made to stay because uh, yeah he uh because Dortmund have so much injury problems once again. Eric Durm also still sticking around. Um last who do you actually See still being weeded out, let's put it this way, because, um, yeah, the squad still looks a little bit thick. We already talked about Zubotic. Um, Bonic already is left on a, a season loan at Stuttgart, which makes some sense seeing as Hannes Wolf, his former youth coach, is the head coach at Stuttgart. Um, I think Emre Moore could leave on loan, even though he's the kind of player Coaches usually want to mold themselves um, and and not give away uh, the the right to train him in in certain ways they want him to develop. But I think uh, Moore is going to struggle to pick up playing time, even with injuries, uh, a, a constant problem for Dortmund. So I, I could see him going out on loan, preferably uh, inside Germany, seeing as uh, he still needs to pick up. The, some some professional or some professionalism uh, and and that's always best to do that in the country where your parent club is so you can still keep learning the language for example and the way of life in that culture even though he's from Denmark so it's not uh, terribly different but still there are some differences especially sporting wise um, Merino uh, seemingly has been linked with a uh, sale or loan or sale with a buyback option for months and un- until he's uh, a part of the squad on September 1st I think that's always going to be a possibility and then you have to see whether you can l- get 
get rid of, uh, even though that sounds a bit harsh, uh, players like uh, Sebastian Rode, perhaps even André Schöle, uh, Eric Dorm, even though now that uh, Guerrero is out, I think both Paslak and Dorm probably need to stay. Seeing as both aren't great left-backs, maybe they can form one uh, decent one together. Um, I mean, we don't even talk about Yoho Park anymore because he's... Uh, sitting out his contract for 12 more months, which is his prerogative. Uh, so uh, it's not like they can do anything about it, but don't think any club will be interested in signing him and he's not going to be overly interested in leaving his nice contract at Dortmund behind for, you know, playing for a third of that or maybe half of that uh, at his age. So I think weeding out the squad, as you put it, Stefan, is going to prove somewhat difficult for Dortmund. So... They are probably going into the season with a squad a, a bit uh, bigger than what Bosch presumably would like. But then again, uh, we thought the same last season. Then injuries hit so much that uh, Jakob Brunlarsen had to make a debut in the cup against Union Berlin. So uh, maybe going into the going into a season with three competitions, it's not too bad to have maybe two or three players more than you think you need at the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, Dortmund had a couple of injury concerns in the last year too. So, you know, although the squad might appear a little bit thick right now, it's, uh, yeah, might look very different come October or November or whatnot. Um, Constantine, from what I've read, uh, Peter Bosch is a, yeah, follower of the, uh, let's call it philosophy of, uh, Raymond van Halen. What does that mean for Dortmund and how they train? Oh, that's, uh, that's really tough to, you know, put into a few words. Um, but people can look it up on the internet. I mean, that's basically better. It's, it's about, um, periodization and, uh, yeah, that's like combining, uh, extra fitness, like, like fitness training and tactical training and how you set up a, a, pre a preparation plan and how you, you conduct training uh, between matches and also there's some, a few other things, uh, Fahein believes in. It's not always, not everything is, you know, like ironclad proven or something. Um, like that you got, um, like, like, like a cord, uh, like, like an, an, uh, exhaust, ex exhaustion cord or so, you know, if you got, like, you got points on your cord and if you are too exhausted as, 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 as a player, you have to, you have to, uh, you know, sit out, um, stuff like that. It's, but people should, uh, should look it up. Um, it's just one of several philosophies, but all, uh, mostly similar philosophies, um, regarding, you know, fitness training, athletic training and everything. And also like regeneration management. Um, the thing is, Verheyen is uh, one of the most outspoken, um, athletic trainer, if not, if not like people in football, um, outside of the coaches. Um, so yeah, he's very well known among those in the business. Um, but he's also, uh, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a loud mouth. Oh, not to be offensive or so. Um, but yeah, he is a little bit of a loud mouth. Um, And his whole thing is not only like this periodization concept, but also, um, as I meant, like, um, how to manage exhaustion, how to manage, um, you know, regeneration so that your players don't get unnecessarily injured. Um, and yeah, Bosch is someone who follows the idea of Fahein, um, uh, and is probably in contact with him quite closely. Um, so 
yeah, that's that's about it. It's just you know, it's good to know that the new Dortmund coach, as was the old Dortmund coach, um, pays attention to you know new studies, pays attention to new concepts regarding athletic training because because some of the some of the coaches uh, in the Bundesliga or even like in international football and all all these uh, first division the first divisions um they don't know enough about these things or they don't have experts in the staff um who can you know advise them what to do as as, as far as training goes um training regimens and intensity especially midway through the season that's where you 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 pick up all these injuries um in november or maybe in march um so yeah it's good to know that bosch uh pays attention to it and uh uh <laughs> I didn't expect our eyes because he's um, a very smart guy. Yeah, that's that's exactly uh, where I was going uh, with my next and probably also final question for this podcast because we haven't heard your two cents on on this podcast on Peter Bush uh, overall yet. So what what actually do you expect from him as a Dortmund coach? And uh, yeah, how do you think what or what kind of football do you think he will utilize? in Dortmund and uh, maybe even if if you want which players might profit from that and yeah. which might actually not right um so i think there are two scenarios two likely scenarios um one being that uh, he Dortmund's getting relegated Dortmund's getting relegated <laughs> like like i um, you know announced last season or like predicted last season uh, no just choking aside i mean i think there are two likely scenarios one is that he will be sacked or, you know, resign after, I don't know, in December or so, uh, fairly quickly, um, uh, because it just doesn't work out. Um, or he will stay at Dortmund for a few years and they will play, uh, good football. Um, I think signing him was smart, um, considering that the transition from Tuchel to Bosch will be will be smooth um because he's also a possession ball possession focused coach um even when he was um the coach of some mid-tier uh, dutch clubs he tried to be or he tried to create this dominant team who just you know keeps the ball going or keeps the possession going um of course but it wasn't quite really successful because like his, his players couldn't handle these concepts and these ideas and couldn't you know um just execute his plans but uh, you could really see what his idea of football is and at Ajax you you got really aggressive with what he wants to do um uh so do you think yeah. sorry if i interrupt sure. but do you think that uh, we will see the best of bosch now that the dortmund squad right. is probably even right. more close to what his idea is than ajax i i think so yeah i think so because um if you want to to you know have a team that can handle ball possession that can you know set up build up plays and everything um then dortmund might be the second best team in the bundesliga and and, and one of the 10 best teams in Europe right now. Um, so yeah, I think signing with Dortmund was, was for him, uh, was the right decision. And, and for Dortmund, uh, signing Bosch was a better decision than Lucien Favre, who was option number one, who wasn't allowed to leave Nice. But, um, I think the transition from Tuchel to Favre would be more bumpy-ish. Um, so yeah, I, th I think, um, the players uh, don't need to, 
to adapt too much uh, with Bosch now coming in because like this this entire concept is there. Uh, he will change a few things, especially in build-up. He likes to have more vertical passes. He likes to be a little bit more aggressive out of the back line. But um, other than that, it's it's something Togo already did last season and the season, especially the season before. Um, his first season. Um, so yeah, I, I think it was just a smart move. And especially right now, um, Bosch is confident. He got this entire thing going with, with Ajax or he had this thing going with Ajax. Um, Europe League final. Um, yeah, he didn't win the championship in, in the Netherlands, but who cares? Um, so yeah, I, I just think there's some hype and there's some confidence there. So maybe he will, he will be successful at Dortmund, but he wouldn't be the first coach who gets who gets in, um, you know, gets a job at a top tier Bundesliga club and just fails because there maybe there wasn't a transitional step between his former club and his new club. Although I have to say, between Ajax and Dortmund, uh, I mean, what's there? Like, what would have been the transitional step? So m- maybe it was the right decision. So, but there's like a fifty-fifty chance that that entire thing will go south fairly quickly. Uh, we will see. And you you asked you asked about players who could you know benefit from Bosch. Um, yeah, I think Mark Bartra first and foremost, um, because Bosch likes his center backs uh, advancing, being aggressive, being you know just more active or doing more than just you know uh, passing the ball um, in in, in build up plays. Um, so I think Bartra is the right guy. Of course, Mats Hummels would have been the right guy for Bosch. Uh, absolutely, <laughs> it would have been absolutely tremendous. Um, so Batra will ben- definitely benefit from him. Mahmoud Dahoud will benefit from him because he's kind of, um, playmaker in midfield, uh, Bosch likes, um, guys like Maxi Philip and, and Dembele. So, uh, really talented wingers. Of course, they will be, they will benefit from every coach, uh, in this entire world. It's just because they're so talented, especially Dembele. So talented. Uh, but yeah, in, in Bosch system, it's, it's, Sometimes it's better to have like really at, um, tremendous attacking wingers or like, like wingers who are really, um, who are just great at breaking through or, you know, um, offensive minded, um, while the center forward. And that's something, uh, Aubameyang won't be able to do, but where the center forward is more like a bouncer and, and, and a bumper and, uh, as, uh, like a, like almost a number 10, like who picks up uh, these vertical passes, but who's not like up there in the box already, but who's just some, you know, he's someone who is in the transition, uh, who, who is part of the transition, uh, wh- while the wingers will, you know, move uh, forward and penetrate the box. So, yeah, I think uh, Dembele and Philip uh, and even Royce, if he's, if, when he's fit, um, they will benefit from the system. Aubameyang not so much, but on the other hand, uh, Bosch is someone who sticks to his concept, but who can definitely adapt um, aspects of his of his system uh, if he sees that, or if he sees that his most talented center forward is Aubameyang, and Aubameyang is more comfortable with moving uh, right in, in um, towards the goal rather than moving backwards. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they are, we will, we have to wait what happens, uh, in the, with the Aubameyang thing. Um, but I, I think, uh, Bosch is definitely uh, able to adapt his, his system a little bit. But, uh, when you watch the Ajax matches with uh, Dolberg or Traore, it was more like, yeah, the, the center four was more like a bouncer there, a bumper, you know, just, you know, 
one touch one touch passes um and being a little bit uh deeper than than other center forwards like Aubameyang who's just more someone who wants to get behind the line uh get into the box and finalize or uh, just you know make the final touch or be the guy who who picks up the ball and in in some you know counter attacks or counter attackish uh situations yeah i i also do wonder uh how quickly uh yeah, Dortmund will change in, in the way they, they pass up from because, uh, as I always like to say here, there, there are some automatism and, and some running sequences, uh, that are, yeah, just in a team that, uh, Aubameyang runs into space, uh, while, I don't know, for example, Dembele or Götze Kagawa or whoever plays a through ball. I, I think that, that won't completely go away, even though, as you mentioned, that he will play more as a bouncer. And yeah, I guess we can wrap it up here. Um, if you want a more detailed, uh, although Konstantin, of course, always has very detailed answer, but, uh, if, if you want a more detailed, uh, insight, you can always check out Lars Pormann's interview with, uh, Priya Ramesh, um, who is a Dutch football expert and, uh, yeah, basically shared all her insight on Peter Bosch, which I thought was a very interesting, interview and is worth plugging again and yeah in the meantime Lars you can plug your own Twitter appearance my Twitter appearance uh I, I don't know about <laughs> that um but they can people can follow me on Twitter at Lars Polgon yay and Konstantin yeah they can follow me on Twitter at um cc underscore ecknr cool yeah as always thanks for being on the show I very much enjoyed talking with you and also thanks to our listener for listeners for listening and you can find me at Stefan Botsko on Twitter if you want to get in touch with all of us you can do that at Yellow Wallpot and this is also the name where you can find us on Facebook and if you add a.com you can uh, find all our written content and if you want to subscribe to the podcast you can do that on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher and uh, yeah that would be all from us and I will not say next week because we had a couple of scheduling pro problems in the last week so yeah I'll just say until next time goodbye